Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. Hey, Keith. How are you? I'm great. Happy birthday. Oh. <laughs> you did it to me, so I'm doing it to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Just watching the levels just fly um, off on this recorder because Katie's so happy. I'm about so my excited. Birthday. I love birthdays. Um, well, thank you. Katie yeah. also brought me in donuts. Because any excuse to bring sugar to the office. You know, I don't frown upon the sugar because, <laughs> as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one stop shop for all things sugary pop. Mm-hmm. On Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Harry Styles has the number one song both in America and the world with his brand new single, As It Was. How the Grammy Awards shine bright on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, including a big re-entry for the Album of the Year winner, John Batiste's We Are. Plus, the Red Hot Chili Peppers' new album, Unlimited Love, debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, bringing the band its first number one album in nearly 16 years. So, how unusual is it for an act to wait that long between number ones? And have any other artists waited longer for a new number one in recent years? Well, we'll tell you in just a moment. Also on the show, we've got news about Britney Spears announcing her pregnancy in perfectly Britney fashion. Plus, now that we know who's replacing Kanye at Coachella, a combination of Swedish House Mafia and The Weeknd, what do we think? We talked all about this last week, so now we got to talk about who they picked. Stay tuned to hear our thoughts. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. I like the way we're, we're saying, we talked about, it's like, who, who, who wasn't going to be in Coachella? Who might be in Coachella? Then we're going to talk about Coachella and what happened at Coachella. Exactly. Next week, more Coachella. It's just the never-ending. <laughs> and uh, then we talk about weekend two of Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not talk about Coachella in the next segment because it's the chart chat. So yes. let's do the chart chat. First up, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Unlimited Love leaps onto the Billboard 200 Albums chart at number one, marking the band's second leader and first chart-topping effort since 2006's Stadium Arcadium. It's kind of hard to believe they've only had two number one albums. That's really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. Yeah, that could have been a quiz, Katie, that I would have failed miserably on. <laughs> um, the new set was released on April 1st and bows with 97,500 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the weekend in April 7th, according to Luminate, formerly MRC Data. In total, the band has tallied eight top 10 albums on the Billboard 200. Now, Unlimited Love replaces Machine Gun Kelly's mainstream sellout atop the list, and uh, Machine Gun Kelly falls to number nine this week in its second week on the chart, or he falls to number nine in his second week, Mm -hmm. giving the list back-to-back rock albums at number one for the first time in over four years. The last time it happened was when The Killer's Wonderful Wonderful debuted at number one on October 14th, 2017. That was a week after the Foo Fighters, Concrete and Gold, debuted at number one. Interestingly, of Unlimited Love's 97,500 units earned, album sales comprised 82,500 of that number. And uh, obviously it's the top selling album of the week. 
And of that 82,500, vinyl sales were a hefty 38,500 mm. of that. Uh, and that was enhanced by the fact that the album was available on many color vinyl variant permutations. And their vinyl was ready in time. And their vinyl was ready in time. Is not always the case lately. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many examples of albums that debut on the charts and their vinyl is delayed by a few weeks, a few months, a year. Uh, so the Red Hot Chili Peppers sold 38500 uh, on vinyl across variants that were available at Target, Walmart, Amazon, independent record stores, and the band's official web store, all fabulous different colors. I'm sure there is probably a collector that probably has each one of them. Who knows? Hmm. Um, and as it turns out, that 38500 is the second biggest sales week for a rock album on vinyl since Luminate began tracking music sales in 1991. And only the debut frame of Jack White's Lazaretto, which started with 40,000 copies in, on vinyl uh, back in 2014, uh, has had a larger week in terms of rock albums on vinyl, at least since 1991. We know, obviously, back in the 80s and 70s and 60s, people sold tons more vinyl. But And outside of rock albums, did our Taylor Swifts of the world and Olivia Rodrigo and all those people who had those delayed vinyl releases sell more than that? Yeah, or? yeah. yeah okay. th- those were still bigger. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting, though, I mean, uh, as I speak of Jack White, Jack White has a brand new album that came out last Friday. Mm-hmm. He's always big on vinyl, so I wonder how much of his first week will be vinyl. Did you see all the Jack White news over the weekend. He got engaged on stage at his concert on Friday night in Detroit, his hometown, and then promptly got married at the same time on stage. Wow, what a what a way to start the release week. Yes, and they even I think they were playing or went into playing Hotel Yorba right after that, which has the line like, let's get married. <laughs> so they did. But it was a no phone show, so don't look for video of this online. But thankfully we had our Detroit freelancer, Gary Graff, inside. Did he the just concert. Happen, was it was it the first date of the first Jack date White of the tour, tour okay. in Detroit? He also played opening like, day at Gary Tiger Graff Stadium. No, I mean I'm sure maybe Gary knows everything that happens that's in Detroit, true. but it was I mean since he's from Detroit, I think that's why he chose to open his tour there. Not to mention it was opening day for the for Jack's Detroit Tigers. He's a baseball fanatic, oh, right. so he played the national anthem at the Tigers game as well. It's a very Detroit day for for Jack. It's almost like what the Peppers did in L.A. Where oh, the, my gosh, the Walk of Fame ceremony for them the was Chili incredible. Pe- the Chili Peppers were inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and then they played a surprise show at the Fonda Theater. They played an in-store performance at Amoeba Records in Hollywood, which was the first in, live in-store performance that Amoeba had had in over two years. Uh, Amoeba Records is a big independent so record store. So they had a very L.A. week. They had a and very L.A. week because the band was formed in L.A. Exactly. And even even crazier, on um, the second day of their release week, so on the Saturday, like the day after their album came mm-hmm. out, there was a pop-up shop, pop-up stand that Amoeba Records uh, ran that was at the Fairfax High School flea market. Oh, my gosh. And Flea and Anthony Kiedis went to Fairfax High when they formed I the love that. See, and I was dying oh, over— and Flea performed um, the Star Single Banner at they, the Lakers game okay, on so bass guitar. Okay, so they literally did have, like, parallel hometown, like, days and I, weeks. I need, I need to look That's up— That's cool. I need to look up today, later, how much of the sales of this album, of the Chili Peppers album, were in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. I bet no, you it's a ton. Please report back— 
next week or, you know, on Billboard.com, whatever. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, okay, yeah. That, that was uh, Clearly, all that wasn't scripted. We but just did you watch rambling. any of the Star Ceremony videos, like, of the no. band talking? It's no. really fascinating, and, and they're all, like, on Twitter because it was live-streamed. But um, uh, they all talked about, like— I think it was um, John Frusciante who said he his first apartment in Los Angeles was a block away from where their star is on wow. the Walk of Fame. And then Flea talked about as a teenager, he panhandled on Hollywood Boulevard, like right down from where their star was. So they all had these like incredible stories about like coming up in Los Angeles. Their star, anyway, their star is in front of Amoeba Records. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So that's where John Frusciante lived when he who, first moved here. Whoever organized uh, their L.A.-centric stuff— yeah, Props. well, I would say all I'd say Jack is having a similarly geographical uh, promotional cycle. Um, all right, so um, notably, Unlimited Love is the Chili Peppers' first number one on the Billboard 200 in nearly 16 years since Stadium Arcadium spent its first two weeks atop the list on the charts dated May 27th and June 3rd, 2006. So the last act to go longer between number one albums was Celine Dion, who waited 17 years and nearly eight months between A New Day Has Come, which spent one week on at number one on April 13th, 2002, and Courage, which had one week at number one on the November 30th, 2019 dated chart. So, I feel like the way you just said her name was like Ariana Grande's impression of Celine her. Dion. You, you had to like beat your chest while <laughs> um, So um, you might be wondering... Uh, those listening, and also Katie, I'm how wondering. common is it for an act to wait at least 10 years between number one albums? I thought okay. 10 was a nice kind of hefty round number. Yes. Um, so we searched back, meaning Keith, searched <laughs> back through every number one on the Billboard 200 going back to January of 2010. I stopped, I stopped at that point kind of randomly arbitrarily because I wanted a cutoff point because there certainly are examples before that as well. But once I realized how many there were, I'm like, all right, I need to stop. Right. Because it's still an interesting list. So there's actually quite a few just since January of 2010 that waited 10 years between number ones. So before the Peppers, we had ACDC in 2020 when Power Up hit number one, and that came over 12 years after their previous number one, Black Ice in 2008. And then I'm going to go chronologically backwards in time. Tool's most recent number one, 2019's Fear Inoculum, came 13 years after their previous number one, 2006's 10,000 Days. Backstreet Boys waited 18 years wow. between Black and Blue in late 2000 and then DNA in early 2019. Paul McCartney patiently waited mm -hmm. 36 years between Tug of War in 1982 and Egypt Station in 2018. I remember that one because I think that's when you got to speak with him, right? When he hit number one? It was. That, yeah. was, that was the whole reason why I got to interview him was because I was able to uh, congratulate him on debuting at number one. And clearly he was excited because he didn't know if it was going to be another 36 years till the next one. I think I think <laughs> I said, uh, I was like, how do you feel? He's like, well, look, you can't go much higher than number one or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, that you Feel free to Google Keith Caulfield, Paul McCartney, site colon billboard.com. You'll probably find the interview. <laughs> um, so before Paul, we had a tribe called Quest. Uh, they actually stepped away from the number one spot for 20 full years between Beats, Rhyme, and Life in 1996. And we got it from here. Thank you for your service in 2016. 
Blink-182 waited 15 years between Take Off Your Pants and Jacket in 2001 and California in 2016. Prince's The Very Best of Prince hit number one in 2016, shortly after he died, and 10 years after his last number one, 2006's 3121. Garth Brooks waited 12 years between Scarecrow in 2001 and Blame It All on My Roots, Five Decades of Influences in 2013. We're almost at the uh, end here. Lionel Richie had an over 25-year gap between Dancing on the Ceiling in 1986 and his first country classified effort, 2012's Tuskegee. And finally, Sade spent 24 years away from the number one spot between Promise in 1986 and Soldier of Love in 2010. You know what all those artists have in common? Uh, They're all iconic. Yeah, because they all have long enough careers to have such a stat so under was, their belts, that right? That was one of the reasons why I was doing 10 years, because you want, you, the only people that would possibly do this are people that have had, like, a long enough and sort of, like, iconic, stellar, successful career to have possibly had number ones that far apart. Yep, exactly. And, and also, yeah. like, they have at least two al- number one albums on the Billboard 200, well, which really is also, that's something. yeah, it's an amazing stat. Um, All right, well, next, staying with the Billboard 200 Albums chart, while the Red Hot Chili Peppers debut at number one, the recent Grammy Awards shine on the tally as the April 7th. Nope, not April 7th. The show was not April 7th. It was April 3rd, wasn't it? (laughs) It was definitely April 3rd, Sunday, April 3rd. The April 3rd Awards show's impact is seen across the list. Uh, The highest-ranked album on the list that uh, is a direct beneficiary of the show is Olivia Rodrigo Sour. Olivia was a performer on the show and a three-time winner, including two wins that were presented during the CBS televised show. Uh, The Sour album holds at number five on the list, so it doesn't move up, but it did have a 20% gain in units earned. Uh, Doja Cat's Planet Her, which saw its hit single Kiss Me More featuring SZA win Best Pop Duo Group performance. Uh, on the uh, on the award show it is pushed down nine to ten, but it had a four percent gain. A couple other notable ones: a performer and seven-time nominee, but didn't win this year. Billie Eilish sees her album of the year nominated "Happier Than Ever." Uh, Bolt thirty-one to seventeen with a sixteen percent unit increase. Of course, she performed. on I was going to say, I think that performance is what boosted that one. And it was also early on during the broadcast. Too. Yeah, performer and nominee Justin Bieber. Climbs 35 to 20 with his album of the year nominee, Justice, that has an 8% gain. And five-time winner John Batiste sees his album of the year winner, We Are, re-enter the chart at a new high of number 25 with a 2,746% unit increase. Yeah, we saw that coming. Yeah. Uh, It earned 18,000 units for the week, and about 12,500 of that is in album sales. Oh, wow. That's pretty significant. Yeah. And also, um, it's, it's notable because... A lot of people, it's it's a little complicated, but a lot of his sales, I think, are going to bleed into this coming week mm-hmm. because I think a lot of I think a lot of people didn't actually start ordering the album until probably a couple like a day or two after the Grammys, yeah. and those albums don't get into the mail, you know, in time and blah blah blah. So I think we're going to see perhaps continued gains in the next. Yeah, week. interesting. Well, uh, I was up in there. I was up there streaming it. So, so the album had previously spent just one week on the chart at number eighty six. If We Are goes no higher than number 25, it will be the lowest charting win, uh, start, lowest charting album of the year winner since 1995 when Tony Bennett's MTV Unplugged P 
peaked at number 48 following its win that year. I have a feeling John Batiste might go a little bit higher than 25. Yeah. But I don't know how much higher. Well, we'll see. We shall see. We'll see. Uh, lastly, Harry Styles' new single, As It Was, makes a splashy debut at number one on the Billboard Global 200. Billboard. <laughs> Let's start over. And lastly, Harry Styles' new single, As It Was, makes a splashy debut at number one on the Billboard Global 200, Billboard Global Excluding U.S., and Billboard Hot 100 Songs Charts. Now, the Billboard Global 200 ranks the most popular songs globally from streaming and sales activity, while the Global Excluding U.S. chart tallies the world's most popular songs outside of America. And, of course, the Hot 100 is the 100 most popular songs in America, derived from streaming, sales, and airplay activity. On the Hot 100, as it was, is Styles' second number one following Watermelon Sugar in 2020. Mm -hmm. And as it was, is also the first song to debut at number one on the Hot 100 in 2022 and notches the largest streaming week for a song this year, both globally in and in the U.S., with 122.1 million streams worldwide, of which 43.8 million were in the United States. So clearly everyone liked it as much as we did, as we said on the show last week. Can you imagine the pressure that someone like Harry Styles must have? Well, it's interesting because when you think about his debut debut solo single, Sign of the Times, it did not debut at number one. Obviously, this is his first song to ever debut at number one. And I think it was like number five or something. I think it was five. That right? sounds right. And so it's almost like that. I feel like there's pressure there. But now it's like he has a number one under his belt with Watermelon Sugar. It's like oh, we'll see where this one goes. And then it debuts at number one. I don't know. I feel like he actually has pressure off right now. Right. Because he's just beloved. <laughs> and he's already got a number one. At some point, though, you're not going to regularly debut at number one right. or in the top ten anymore. Well, as the fact that it's the first of 2022 means that well, there's a lot of people who've put out songs that are big names this year. Yeah. And they haven't debuted at number one. I believe uh, I believe there might be a story about that on Billboard.com. There is. Andrew did a whole thing about the lack of new songs in the top ten and the Hot 100 in general, basically. So please check it out. Please please, please read the stuff on Billboard.com. <laughs> it helps keep the lights on. Right. Um, as it was, it's the first single from Styles' upcoming third solo album, Harry's House, which is due out on May 20th. And by the way, last week's number one, Heat Waves by Glass Animals, falls to number two this week. And if anyone's wondering what the last song to debut at number one on the Hot 100 was. Ooh, ooh wait, can I guess? Yes. That seems unfair. You already know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm assuming. Okay, guess. Isn't it Easy On Me? No. Wait. Wait. Oh, no, wait. Easy On Me, it didn't debut. It was like, it, it debuted at like 90, then went That's to number one. That's not why, though. There's a song that debuted at number one in November after Easy On Me. Easy On Me was in October. Was, <laughs> was it a Taylor Swift song? Uh-huh. Oh... Willow? No. Wait, That no. was two years ago. <laughs> oh. What's the first letter of the Taylor Swift song? The first letter? Yeah. A. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. All Too Well, the 10-minute version. 10-minute version, All Too Well. God. Red Taylor's version. <laughs> I wonder if All Too Well 10-minute version will be uh, All Too Well Taylor's version, 10-minute version will be nominated or for Record of the Year next year. She appreciates you saying the full double parenthetical I title. I probably got it wrong. 
All right, anyway. so moving on to some news from Billboard.com. Britney Spears announced on Monday that she is expecting a baby with her longtime boyfriend, Sam Asghari. I guess I should say fiancé because they got engaged last year, too. On Instagram, Spears wrote a lengthy caption that was just so typically her. Just so, just so, typically her. <laughs> to announce the news saying that she lost weight for a recent trip to Hawaii only to gain it all back. Oh. And after Sam suggested that she was, quote unquote, food pregnant, she actually took a real pregnancy test. And as she said in her caption, quote, uh, well, I am having a baby, adding it's growing. If two are in there, I might just lose it. <laughs> Oh, it's just like it's just very Britney. It also accompanied was accompanied by a photo of like coffee and flowers, like a stock photo. Oh, she is wild on Instagram. Oh, yeah, um, the pop star also opened up about being pregnant in the public eye in the past, writing, I obviously won't be going out as much due to the paps getting their money shot of me like they unfortunately already have. It's hard because when I was pregnant, I had perinatal depression. I have to say it is absolutely horrible. Women didn't talk about it back then. Now, obviously, Brittany has two children already, um, both with ex-husband Kevin Federline. She has 16-year-old Sean and 15-year-old Jaden. And if you watch the Framing Britney Spears documentary, they talk a lot about, like, the, how the paparazzi really hounded her when she mm. was pregnant the first time around. And she got labeled as a bad mom for carrying her babies around. But, like, she was just trying to, like, escape the paparazzi most of the time. Right. So, anyway, I'm guessing we're going to hear a lot more about that experience now through these new eyes as mm. a newly pregnant woman in 2022. Um, it also, of course, brought to light um, the fight to end her conservatorship last year. She did – she made that public statement for, like, more than 20 minutes in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And she – uh, one of the allegations that she made during that statement was that she wanted her implanted IUD birth control device removed so that she could have more kids and was told by her conservatorship that she could not. Um, when she spoke with the judge uh, at that hearing, which was last summer, she said, I want to be able to get married and have a baby. I was told right now in the conservatorship I'm not able to get married or have a baby. I have an IUD inside of myself right now so I don't get pregnant. I wanted to take the IUD out so I could start trying to have another baby, but this so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they don't want me to have any more children. So that was one of the darkest parts of that statement. Mm-hmm. And now clearly something that she wanted, you know, almost a year later, here we are announcing her pregnancy news. So it's pretty exciting. Congratulations are in order for Brittany and for Sam. And looking forward to more wacky Instagram captions moving forward about pregnancy, et cetera. Yeah, the, the, uh, Brittany, Brittany's uh, pop brood will grow ever larger. Is growing. I love it. Um, all right, so we also wanted to talk about something that we addressed last week on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we discussed Kanye dropping out of Coachella and who might replace him as a headliner. And then on Wednesday, it was announced that a pair of artists would replace the rapper. So we have Swedish House Mafia, who were already on the bill for this year, along with 2018 Coachella headliner The Weeknd joining them. So they're all joining already an- announced headliners, Harry Styles and Billie Eilish. Um, we actually mentioned Swedish House yeah. Mafia and The Weeknd as possibilities last I was like, week. Thank goodness you did. Right? <laughs> um, but we did not talk about the combo. Mm. And it's interesting because these um, have, wait, they did, they put out a song together, didn't they? Yeah. They have one song together from last year when they first, when Swedish House Mafia first reunited, right? Yeah. And there's, that's, that's on, they added that to The Weeknd's album. 
And so, there might be like there might be like a remix that they did as well on the album. What do we envision for the rest of the set? Because obviously that's that song will be played. That feels like a no brainer. But like, do we envision Swedish House Mafia like backing up the weekend? Do you, like maybe some new remixes of the weekend's songs, new productions? I almost feel like there's going to be an opportunity for like them all of them to be on stage together. Yeah. And that it will be, it'll probably lean heavily into the weekend's more dance-oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of wondering, like... I kind of feel like Swedish House Mafia will open, like, they'll start with no weekend. Right. And that's when they'll do, like, their stuff, and then the weekend comes out. But to your point, maybe there's a moment for, like, Don't You Worry Child to right. happen, like, at the end, because that's their big, big song. Right. I, I guess I was trying to figure out, like, you know, you do you want, if they're if they're closing the day, mm-hmm. you want there to be some, like, epic fireworks frenzy at the end. Yeah. And is that Blinding Lights, or is that just Swedish House Mafia solo, like, with... Lasers everywhere, or I could it be all them? I don't know. It could be and who like knows? the new Swedish House Mafia remix of Blinding Lights. Sure, that, that it, then gets commercially released. And and, there, <laughs> and for all we know, there could be other special guests that the weekend mm-hmm. and Swedish House Mafia have up their sleeves. Totally, because the that those two artists have many many friends. Yes, uh, that may show up, and it could be people that are already on the bill that may pop in. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think it's fun. I I wish I kind of wish it was like a little bit more fresh blood. But of course, Billy and Harry, I suppose, are are representing the fl- fresh blood headliners. There's only so much you can do when your headliner dropped out like a two week weeks ago. prior. Yeah. yeah, I know. And that's what we were talking about. Like a production needed to just be ready to go. And while the weekend's tour doesn't start until the fall, clearly he was ready to perform. So here we are. Um, he's going to pull out some of the like the Super Bowl halftime. Uh, production and so it does, get it back does, at it. It does make you wonder, like, if they're doing a collaboration, a collaborative performance together, how much of that was actually rehearsed? Oh, I mean, nothing, probably. Yeah. I I think it started last Wednesday. It's like, all right, how do we fit the two of us together? But I feel like they could do it if they dedicated all their time to it. A week and a half might be, like, an eternity in, like, the music world when sometimes, like— Sometimes you have like a day or two of rehearsal when it comes to like these big show, like big yeah. award shows. Yeah, the, and week, the weekend isn't exactly like you know he doesn't have like you know twenty five backup dancers. No, that's not really his <laughs> mo. All right, well we will stay tuned, and of course Billboard.com will have you very covered. Um, we have a whole team going out to the desert, very excited about Coachella weekend and all the surprises that come from it. So stay tuned to uh, pop the podcast next week when we talk all about what happened at Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> and now, it's time for the chart stat of the week. This week in 1984, Michael Jackson's Thriller spent its 37th and final non-consecutive week at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. 37. Just 37 <laughs> weeks at number one. The album continues to hold the record for the most weeks atop the list by any album by a singular artist. The only album with more weeks at number one is the soundtrack to the first West Side Story film with 54 weeks at number one. Just 54. (laughs) Thriller notched its 37th week at number one on the April 14th, 1984 dated Billboard 200 chart. And its first week at number one came over a year earlier when it climbed from number four to number one on the February 26th, 1983 dated chart. 
Now, the album didn't actually debut at number one, which is common today. Rather, it started its chart life at number 11 on the December 25th, 1982 chart. Thriller not only spent 37 weeks at number one, but it also was Jackson's first number one album, either as a solo artist or with his brothers in the Jackson Five or when they were later known as just the Jacksons. Before Thriller, Michael got as high as number three with his previous studio album, Off the Wall, in 1980. With the Jackson Five and later as the Jacksons, the group peaked at number four three different (laughs) times with ABC and the third album in 1970 and Victory in 1984. It's the first time I've ever heard of the third album. Somebody got real creative in titling that one. (laughs) And they're both in the same year, too. Amazing. The singles from the Thriller album were so successful, uh, it is essentially a greatest hits album. Yep. That is no joke. Of the album's nine songs, there's only nine songs on the album. Seven of them were released as singles in the U.S., and all seven of them reached the top ten on the Billboard Hot 100. Not And also not in the way where Drake will have top, seven top tens in a single week just right. because of streaming. This was seven top ten singles. Worked at separate times. At separate times throughout like the course of like, you know, over a year plus. All you heard on the radio and saw on MTV everywhere you turned was Michael Jackson singing at you. Yeah. So— uh, all seven reached the top 10 and it was the first time an album had ever managed seven top 10 singles from a single album. I just repeated myself, but uh, it behooves repeating, but who's repeating bears. Thanks. Thriller's thrilling run on the hot 100 started with the girl is mine, a duet with Paul McCartney that peaked at number two and was followed by two number ones, Billie Jean and beat it. And then there was the number five hit, Want to Be Starting Something, the number seven single, Human Nature, the number 10 hit, PYT, Pretty Young Thing, and the seventh and final single, the album's title track, which peaked at number four. The Thriller album would spawn multiple Grammy Award wins for Jackson, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year for Beat It. Thriller was also the year-end number one album of, of 1983 on the Billboard 200 chart, while Jackson himself was the top pop artist of the year. Jackson would follow the Thriller album with four more number one albums in his lifetime, plus a posthumous number one in 2009, the This Is It soundtrack, which topped the chart in November of that year, following his death earlier in June. So there you have it. This week in 1984, Michael Jackson's Thriller capped a thrilling 37-week run at number one. We have reached the end of our big show. Katie, any parting words? That's just wild. Seven, seven num- or seven top tens. I had to stop writing. I could have kept on <laughs> writing. There's just so much. It's so easy to write about Thriller and Michael Jackson. I bet you a lot of young music fans probably just assume it is a greatest hits album. You know what I mean? No. I, I mean, mean, I know well, what you, you mean. You know what I mean. It's like, well. Also, most young fans don't know what albums are anymore. They don't know what greatest hits are either. There's that. <laughs> like okay, the, the weekend, right. The weekend didn't even want to call the highlights as a greatest hits album. Right. Actually, most <laughs> artists don't want to ever call a greatest hits album a greatest hits album because then it, it seems like it's the end of something. Right. 
There's lots of, oh, we've talked about this before. We have. We had a whole episode about this whole... around the weekend's project. Was it? Yeah, really? it was around the highlights. Where yep. we talked about how some artists would call something like Greatest Hits Volume 1. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you're very. You so know, far. So far. <laughs> Pink. Yes. So far. Don't... And she might have been right, actually. Actually, you know what I mean? Pink actually was right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Pink's listening right now saying, you better just t- zip your lips, kids. <laughs> she did just go after Rolling Stone over a list that they did last week. <laughs> Look, so pink, be nice, Pink. Pink, pink, pink is goddamn amazing. Yeah, we and, love you, Pink. And it's, it, we've tried, we've tried mightily a time to get her on the show, uh, but it's just never worked out. Oh, so that's so wild. Let's do that sometime. Well, you know, she doesn't do a whole lot of press. Yeah. All right. So, what song should we go out on? Well, I mean, we could go out on one of the seven top yeah. ten hits from Thriller that I haven't played yet yes, from Thriller. Correct. Um, okay. So I'm going to say that I've probably already played Billie Jean and Beat It. Okay. So, what of the other songs would you like to hear? Pyt, please. All right, um, from from a PYT, Katie herself. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Bye. I want to love you.